Look how the stars turn on Look how the stars turn on Welcome to episode 34 of The Press Box. I'm Craig Colgan, and once again, I'm joined by local journalist James Rogers. In this week's episode, we'll look back on the one-all draw with Bohemians at Dalymount Park and ahead to this Friday's FAI Cup semi-final tie with St. Pat's in Richmond Park. We'll also catch up with media pundit and former Dundalk FC midfielder Alan Cawley to get his verdict on the Cup semi-finals, his time in Oriel Park, and much more. But first, is a disappointing end to the game in Philpsburg on Friday as Georgie Kelly's 91st minute penalty denied Dundalk a chance to go level with Keith Long's men. I suppose the first talking point, Jim, is people are kind of going in and out about was it or was it not a penalty, but uh, I think uh, kind of clearly took him down. I think he left the ref with uh, no decision to be made and or a decision to be made even, and I, I, I think he just he got it right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the referee didn't get it right. The, the, the linesman did, uh, Dara Keegan. Um, Damien McGrath, I think, showed up how poor a referee is yet again. Um, I'd have no complaints. I think it was uh, clumsy, foolish, needless. Um, pick, pick out any of them if you need. I think, like, even when you go in that rash in the 89th minute in, in the box, I think you're asking for trouble. And Realistically, Ali Coote was going nowhere. So I think um, for that reason, I think, you know, it was completely avoidable. Um, you know, maybe it didn't help the Dundalk fans' uh, mood on the matter that, well, I suppose most of them were the opposite end of the field, so they didn't probably have a great view of it. Um, but also the fact that Damien McGrath did give a free out initially and then change his mind, I suppose that just adds to the to the anger, but I don't think you can have many complaints about it. I think if it was at the other end, we'd definitely be claiming for it and disappointed if we didn't get it. Um, and unfortunately, Peter Cherry, he, he, he almost saved it. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a big sort of opportunity lost. Cause I think, and I think Vinnie Parrott admitted as much after the game in his own comments, you know, like, we spoke last week about can you reach Europe via the the league and I think you needed to be winning that game like it's a funny one um, because at one point you know when you're 1-0 up you're looking at the table in play and you're thinking you know we're, we're, we're right up there again where you know we're pushing for, for Europe and you know with that result now it kind of um, drags you back a little bit with results elsewhere because you're in a situation where if Finn Harps win their game in hand they're now heady again and if Waterford win their game in hand they're level on points with you um, albeit you have a better goal difference but given um, Waterford's form and, and the fact that they come to Oriel soon you know you're, you're you're sort of dragged back the way rather than looking up and it wasn't like we didn't have the chances to to seal it you know obviously Sammy Benamar got the goal um, in the first half and and you know, I thought the dog had the bulk of the best chances after that, you know, be it Sloggett, McMillan, Murray, they all had chances sort of to make it 2-0. And I think had that second goal gone in, I think 
Dundalk win the game. No, no question. Top bows were poor enough on the night. Um, forced a couple of saves from from Peter Cherry, but you're going to expect that. But um, it's uh, yeah, it's a probably a disappointing result in the end. Although, look, going going up there, you probably would have taken it. But the way the game panned out, I think you you know when you could see that late on, it it, it has to go down as you know two points dropped. I'd say. I think uh, great to see as we were just as you were just saying about Benamar getting the goal, great goal. But I think uh, James Talbot uh, was kind of lucky to get away with a jail sentence for kind of what he did on Hoban. And is that the the injury now for why Hoban will potentially be missing now the weekend, or is has is that a different thing, or has has he been ruled out because of that challenge? I, I'm not sure it was because of that necessarily, but it it no doubt didn't help. I think like. And this, again, comes down to, and I feel like we're discussing this every week, but refereeing standards again, where I think if if a midfielder is that late with his feet, that Talbot was in, say, the centre circle, I think you're at the very least on a yellow and possibly even a red. Now, bear in mind, Jim Talbot did get subsequently booked in the game. So, uh, you know, potential game change and incident here. Um, but he was, yeah, he was reckless, like diving out with his feet, taking a player out, like... Pat Hoban, to be fair, is a lot of things, but he's not someone who goes down softly. And particularly when your team have just scored, there's no reason to stay down unless you're genuinely hurt. Um, so I it's just about like, playing on, as in the playing advantage. You scored, lads, right? We'll just move on because I know there there is yeah, no, but like if, as well, like as in once but, you've but got a few you minutes. Move on. But this is the frustrating thing with with this. So a, a few minutes after this, like literally within five minutes. Uh, Will Patching took a player out and advantage was played and then subsequently Dan Cleary took a player out and a free kick was given and he booked Cleary and then he went back and he booked Patching who was actually still on the ground himself injured at this stage Um, so you can play advantage and then subsequently book players and this is the same referee in the same game probably less than five minutes apart doing just that so this is what is the frustrating thing because um. You know, it was very clumsy by Talbot. Like, we're lucky, like, you know, Patrick Patrick Huben's built very well. But if that's, you know, a slighter player, he probably is in a far worse way than 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 Huben was, you know. And um, just, I, again, I go back to, like, yeah, keepers get a certain degree of protection. But I, I'll never forget, and I... I, I I forget which final it was, but I remember we were playing Cork in, a, in an FAI Cup final, and obviously there was, what, three or four of them, so it's hard to remember what year. But I remember there was one incident where uh, a corner went into the box. Mark McNulty came out to punch, didn't get the ball, missed it, and in the process of punching, clocked it and dog player in the jaw. Um, and we didn't get a penalty for it. I mean, it's that sort of thing that frustrates you at times because... Again, if you're that late with a challenge, it you'd like to, like if that's a a two footed lunge in the box that's that late, you're saying, well, stonewall penalty. But why isn't it when a keeper comes out with his fists and catches a player in the head and gets away with it? And and it's similar. Obviously, the McNulty one is worse, but similar to this, that why should James Talbot escape punishment just because he's a goalkeeper? And the fact that the ball ended up in the net sort sort of irrelevant, to be fair. Um, you know, obviously from a dog perspective, you're you're happy with the goal because look, there's always a chance you missed a penalty or something. But um, yeah, I just think sometimes goalkeepers are afforded way way too much protection. Um, 
and not even in the, you know, people think when they're, you know, there's players on top of them from corner kicks or whatever, but, you know, sometimes they, they get away with stuff that your average outfielder wouldn't. Yeah, and like I, I think the next topic here is kind of is that the the end of the road, shall we say, Europe-wise in the league. And, and and it's funny, I'm actually looking at the league table now, and we're the form team in the league. In the last five games, we're the only team unbeaten. Everybody else in the league has lost a game bar us. So, you know, things are on the up, to be fair, but I'm trying to think. We, we'd obviously, if we win the cup, fair enough, but... Uh, if we'd need Pats to win it, and if they can force the 45 or 39 out of the game in hand, it's not over, but it's very, very unlikely, I'd say, at this stage. And so the, I, the issue is you're running out of games. Like, if yeah. you had if you had 10 games to go or something, you'd say, yeah, maybe there's a chance. But, I mean, even as it stands, your you're watch are, like, seven points is it, or yeah. behind Sligo Rovers, who... You know, still have a game in hand. It's just a case of like the dog of five games to play, and you know what, four teams between them and third place. It, you know, it's just very difficult to see how they put the points together to you know clamor into that top four. It's certainly top three, but even top four probably is a big ask at this stage. Um, and that's that's going to be the issue you have. So I think. Um, we'll probably look that we will discuss it in more detail later, but I think it just shows you why Friday is so important to sort of keep the the show on the road because um you know realistically you lose on Friday and your season's over. I know you still have work to do in terms of re- avoiding the the relegation playoff, but I think that two drop points to Bose uh, and and look, I don't want to put that it wasn't <laughs> our problems date a lot earlier in the season to, to than this but kind of as a sliding doors moment that's maybe one where if you hold on for the win you are thinking right we can do this um you know we we can definitely get top four if not top three particularly given Sligo's form um but I just think it's a bit too much to ask now just purely because you're running out of games yeah, and again, Macmillan coming on, I suppose, you know, in probably the wrong circumstance and uh, Daniel Kelly as well. So, like, you know, we're getting kind of the, the men back, shall we say. And I like it's, I don't know, if we were even within a sniff, I, I think we're getting our fit guys back and, and, and things, you know, you could go on that sort of run that possibly gets us there. So it's great to see the lads back. But again, it's probably just a bit too little too late in that sense. Yeah, like, look, Great to have them back. To be to be fair, obviously wouldn't have liked Dave McMillan coming in in the in the nature he did because you know over the last, like he, he literally won our Player of the Month award in terms of the the, the supporters club one. So like Patrick Hoban has been our best player, and you you wouldn't want to see him limp off, particularly not before half time. I, I think the two lads that you know did they were a bit rusty. Even I think that chance he had uh, around about seventy minute mark. I think McMillan puts that away if he's you know six seven eight games under his belt in a row um but look it's definitely good to have them back i think the the minutes you know while neither were pretty brilliant or or bad the other night i think the minutes they got will stand to them another week's training will stand to them i'd be surprised obviously maybe mcmillan has to start if if hoban doesn't make it on friday but uh, i'd be surprised if either of them maybe started on friday night but it, it was it was good to have them back uh, there's that's that's definite and and uh you know i think if you do get through friday night i think everyone's gonna want to play in that in that cup final because um i know we won it last year but 
behind closed doors. It's not really the same. Uh, it's still a cup medal and it was a great win and all the rest. Don't get me wrong, but I suppose the magic of the cup is, is being there and they've even celebrating with family, friends and all that. So um, I think the, the government announcements this week, you know, we, we know that the, there's going to be a crowd there this year, definitely. So, um, you know, I think that's definitely something to aim for because some of that team, you know, okay, someone like uh, McMillan has won a cup before, but um, a lot of that team were winning their cup first cup last year. And, and while you always remember your first, I think it'd be more special if you were doing it in front of a, you know, 30, 40,000 crowd. Another great performance from our old man and Peter Cherry. Yeah, he, he made a couple of really good saves and, you know, we're what now? Seven, seven undefeated. And I think you have to give a lot of the credit to him for that because I think he's just steadied the ship a lot. A lot. Um, he's done the basics right, you know, um, and I think uh, I've referenced this before, but I, I thought we were playing too deep at times and I think it was true a lack of faith in, in, in the goalkeeper. And, you know, that's helped us get further up the field and helped us, you know, be a more bigger attack, attacking threat and, and, you know, fair play to him. The baffling thing for me with Peter Cherry is how not one, not two, but three different coaches throughout this season have overlooked him in, in you know, uh, in favour of Alessio Bibi. And, and look, I'm not trying to Bibi bash again here, but Cherry has the very basics right, whereas there's definite question marks over some of Abibi's basics. And you can see the difference it's made to the team. Now, listen, he's come in at a good time too. I think that, you know, having fans back has definitely helped the team. Um, I remember uh, commenting on one of the games where in Oriel where Cherry just looked like he was really enjoying himself, you know, with the with the atmosphere and all the rest. And, and we probably haven't had that enough across the team at times this year, but like he's made a, a real, real massive difference. And uh, like to be fair to him, I, I think it's still a, a position we can definitely strengthen in, but just having a solid person there who, you know, as I say, does the basics well, um, you can see the differences made on the team. And I, a kind of touchy topic because there's, uh, you know, so many people in favour and so many people very much in not in favour and then people that probably don't really care. But in the away section, a few people were on to me this week and were just saying that, um, you know, there was there was flares about and, you know, there were there was thrown out uh, onto the pitch, I think, once at one stage at Cherry and, uh, you know, just with kids and stuff around and stuff. I think maybe in that sense, it's it's, you know, it's hard to criticise people for trying to create an atmosphere, but then sometimes it can other people don't like that atmosphere. Now I get in an away section, it's hard to differentiate between, um, de- between our own support. You know, it, it's not that somebody can go to like the shed, you know, and, and if you don't want that, you go to the stand. So at the way sections, it's harder, but it was just that a few people mentioned it to me and I, and I don't know kind of how people in general feel about it because, it, you know, I know we were chatting earlier and we were saying in 2015 that we were fined 21,000 euros for conduct of club supporters. Now, I don't know what that means, whether it is fines or, or, or flares or, or what other things, but I just think the flares look great. And I've been in Oriel numerous times that it's great atmosphere. It is intimidating for the um opposition there's no doubt about that but then i just think is this costing us money and is it costing us as in in fines and is it potentially costing us people not 
enjoying the experience so i don't know what your thoughts are on that but it was just a good few people kind of get on to me about that this week that i was like oh, it's definitely a topic that i think needs to be discussed yeah you're right um like going back to friday night um there was i think one of the polls uh supporters joked uh dundalk were announcing a new pope uh, to start a game where there's just this big plume of smoke going up in the air and um you know, then very early on, like the game's basically halted because someone has thrown a flare basically at, I'm not saying at Peter Cherry, but certainly in his direction and, you know, delays the game. And um, just uh, like, listen, I'm all for a good atmosphere. I don't want to be sounding like a fun killer and, and some of the banners and all and the, the support has been brilliant from, you know, <sighs> The, the fans and particularly in, in the shed in terms of home matches but like you, you reference it there like the, the 2015 figure 21,125 euro uh, of fines relating to the club supporters that year that's a 50 year prize money for winning a league that year you know like 20% just gone literally up in smoke um, you know I, I just had a brief look where we come on I haven't found an updated figure but the, it was roughly 500 euro per flare was the fine in recent years. And if you just take in the short amount of games, we've sort of been back in terms of in good numbers, you know, many flares has there been many, you know, ironically, I was, I was reading the Argus today and the, the yesteryear section um, was, had a piece from 30 years ago, uh, the, the Kispis Hanvit game where we got a, uh, I think it was a £1,500 fine at the time from UEFA for a firework against uh, against in the Hanford match. Um, now, that's still a large amount of money without taking into account inflation. You know, so I'm surprised the club, because in the past, and Martin Connolly would have led the likes of this, the club have been very vocal about, can can we, you know, not bring flares into the ground and, you know, stressing the the dangers of them as well in terms of burns and and that sort of thing um and the club's basically said nothing but I, i'd imagine the fines have arrived or, or or at least en route and i'd imagine they're going to be sizable because i i do know rt complained quite vigorously over the the situation at the rovers game where you know obviously some of their staff weren't too pleased that the, the the coverage was affected as a result because you basically couldn't see the game on TV. Um, and it was, as I think I said it last week, there was, there was genuine concerns. Um, now I don't think it would have happened due to the makeup of the, the shed, but like this, this happened, I think 24 hours after a, a similar gantry had went up in flames over in Andorra where England were playing. And they were very concerned probably because that was fresh in their head that this would happen again. So, um, there's all that. And then I, I did speak to a few people myself that were um that aren't actually going to Richmond Park on Friday. Now, the fact that government uh, announcements have sort of come true and there's more tickets available, but like I, I definitely know season ticket holders who weren't or didn't buy a ticket in the initial round that went on sale this week because basically all Dundalk fans were in the one area of the ground are going to be in the one area of the ground and they didn't want to be near that sort of environment because 
again, and look, everyone to themselves, but like if you're asthmatic or, you know, whatever else, or you're taking young kids, you might want to be around that sort of smoke, everything else. Um, and as I say, it's, it's probably, I'm not, I'm not condoning it in Oriel necessarily, um, but at least, look, if you go to the shed, you probably know what you're getting yourself in for. And as you say, there's, there's other, be it the stand, be it behind the either goal or the side of the stand or whatever, there's different areas of the ground you can you can go to and sort of avoid it to a certain extent. But um, yeah, when, when you're packed into a sort of away section like you were in Dalyman Park at the weekend, it, it's hard to get, you know, too far away from it. And uh, certainly for young supporters, it's probably a bit... Um, I, I, I'm only going by what I was told, but certain young supporters were a bit scared by it as well. So uh, at times, so um, again, I don't want to sound like I'm the fun police here because it, it definitely look. Let's be fair: when flares go off and and done in a controlled manner, they are they do add to an atmosphere. They do add to the the optics in terms of you know many pictures we've seen over the years of different not just on dog games, but games in the League of Iron with flares. Um, and, you know, it's spectacular to see, but they also need to be controlled. It's like a bit of a, like a firework display. You know, when it's done professionally, it's brilliant. Uh, when it's not, there's always the risk of danger. And, and, and as I say, when it's putting off club supporters, when it's costing the club fines, you do have to say maybe, maybe enough is enough, like, because... I know there's a very much an anti-peak six thing, but we're we're still not in a in a place where we can afford to be giving away thousands of euro for you know it, literally putting money up in smoke technically. Yeah, I, I I think it's a topic definitely worth yeah discussing, and even if that's in the likes of the supporters club meetings and stuff, it's just it'd be interesting just to see everybody's view on it because there's some people that are really for them, and uh, and as as we discussed, like the the atmosphere it creates is amazing, but I don't know if there is a way that you can nearly have. I don't think the FAI would be happy with it, but like a flare section or whatever. But uh, I don't know. I, I think it's a, definitely a topic for another day but uh moving on anyway ahead of this weekend's feI cup semi-final tie with st pats uh, james caught up a former lily white and current rde pundit alan Cawley to discuss the game alan played in the D- dark side to exit the cup in the opening round against pats in 2010 when referee anthony buttermer sent off three players he thinks Dundalk have a real chance of winning the cup but is keeping his fingers crossed that it's bose lifting the trophy in the viva stadium next month here's the here's the interview now We've the two uh, cup semi-finals this weekend. Um, I suppose we'll we'll probably delve into the Dundalk one in more detail than than Bowes and Waterford. But um, what way do you see them going, or what what's your thoughts on them? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to them. I absolutely love the FEI Cup, James. Um, to be honest, which is brilliant competition, and I always view it as our showpiece competition, and particularly obviously the cup final day is the day when we get the the coverage to ourselves on a Sunday afternoon for hours, which is absolutely brilliant. So I'm really looking forward to the semi-finals. And what I'm excited most about, I suppose, this year is the fact that it's wide open, really, I think, between the four teams that are left. Obviously, for the last few years, we've had the teams mainly dominate, obviously Dundalk and Cork and Shamrock Rovers. So um, I think it's good for the competition that hopefully we might have a new winner now, from your point of view, obviously, you might want Dundalk to win it. Um, and I'm sure the fans, of course, will want that. But it would be nice to have a new winner as well. And I just think with the four teams that are left, um, 
I do think it's wide open, James. It's tough to call, you know. I suppose if you look at the the first one with with St. Pat's and Dundalk, um, if you had asked me a few weeks ago, I obviously would have said St. Pat's as everybody would have would have done. But certainly in the last five or six games, Dundalk seemed to have turned things around and uh, they look very strong at the moment. And that was obviously a great victory last week against um, Shamrock Rovers. So I'd say they'd be going into the semi-final in good spirits now, whereas a few weeks ago that wouldn't have been the case at all. And St. Pat's themselves would be quietly confident with the season that they've had. And obviously Stevie's done very well um, getting second in the table so far. I think that's probably ahead of schedule, really. I would have had them down just to qualify for Europe. I didn't have them down as title contenders at the start of the year, to be fair, because I think this is probably the first year that Stevie has been able to put a stamp on things, bringing in his players. Uh, so I think he's done an absolutely brilliant job getting into second and obviously been in the semi-final. So I'm really looking forward to the game and... It's hard to call. It really is. Is there a is there a dream final like it, it, it leaving aside form and all that that you'd you'd love to see X go head head to head with Y or anything like that? Is there you know the one that would attract the most interest or something? Yeah, the one that I would love if you were on from a personal point of view. I've had a soft spot for Bohemians all year. Um, I think Keith Long has done a great job and this year they were rightly lauded during the European run funny enough the last few weeks though they've tailed off a little bit and again something like the first semi-final if you had asked me a few weeks ago I would have said Bohemians are nailed on to beat Waterford but again you look at the recent form Bohemians are very much up and down and hitting this the last few weeks um, I know they got back into the game late the other night with the penalty but Waterford themselves have I think picked up 23 points out of the last 33 so Mark Bertram has done an unbelievable job with them even just getting them into the fight to stay in the division and obviously qualify for the semi-final. So I think that's wide open as well. I think Bohemians' home advantage might just see them through. But from a personal point of view, if you were to ask me the dream final, what I'd love to see would be Bohemians against Dundalk. Yeah, I suppose the the, the, the Cup Kings in recent years and, and the, the team that, have, you know, probably a lot of people would love to see them get one from a, a neutral perspective. Yeah, and I think with Bohemians, to be fair, um, as I said, Keith has done a brilliant job over over recent times. But I think this team that he's assembled this year, I think there's, a, I wouldn't say pressure on them, but I just think he nearly needs to deliver a trophy now at this stage. And I think he has the team capable of doing that. Um, they're obviously still challenging to get into Europe as well, the top three. And I know that the game tonight against Shamrock Rovers, which is their game in hand, that they probably need to win. And they'll be level on points with Derry and only a point behind Sligo Rovers. But I just think an opportunity to win the Cup it would be huge for Bohemians, huge for Keith Long. As I say, I think to have the team on their day, if they play to, their, play to the level, I think they're capable of beating anyone in the country on their day. So, and again, to have to have fond memories of the Aviva after the summer they had, I was in at the games that they played in the Aviva and they certainly didn't look out of place in any of those European games. And the, if anything, they looked very comfortable in those surroundings. So that would bode well for them if they were to qualify and get into the final. Um, so I do, I just think Bohemians, I'd love to see them win it. I'd love to see a Bohemians-Dundalk final. And that's no disrespect to obviously Pats and Waterford. As I said, if there's a new winner on the competition this year compares to what we've had in the last five or six years, I'd be all for that as well. And, and of course, as I said, I, I praise Stevie. I think he's done a great job with Pats and Mark Bertram as well. So um, I think whoever goes on to win it now, good luck to them. But if you were just to ask me my personal preference, it would be a buzz on dog final, and I'd love to see Bohemians win it. Yeah, it adds definite spice to it this year as well. That would possibly, with the exception of Pats, it could be a European ticket that that's required this year. I suppose in recent years we've been used to Fort being good enough, and it may be again if say Pats win it. But you know, if it's any of the other three, you'd imagine 
um, it 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 could be crucial. Like I mean, I know Bowes won't give up on Europe through the league or anything yet, but um, realistically, the cup could be their best chance. Same with Dundalk, and certainly same with Waterford. Absolutely, James. Yeah, and that just goes goes to show, I suppose, the huge incentive that is is on these games. Not just obviously an opportunity to win silverware and win a cup, but that carrot dangling in front of them in terms of qualification for Europe. Because we've all seen this year just what Europe can bring you. Um, in terms of not only interest but most importantly financially and it's been absolutely brilliant for the clubs this year Dundalk it's probably definitely their best route still wouldn't rule Bowes out of qualifying through the normal route um, as I said of a game in hand their form does need to improve it's been very patchy obviously in recent weeks um, but certainly I, I still think they have an avenue there if they win that game in hand the favourites for that I would say at the moment are Derry because of the run that they've been on in recent weeks and Rory Higgins done a brilliant job but I wouldn't rule Bowes out of that avenue yet either uh, definitely for Dundalk and Waterford though obviously it's a huge opportunity for them to qualify for Europe in winning the cup but I just think the prestige of course that's huge James and especially with the league we're in and the financial reward that comes especially now in Europe with, and even more so now with teams getting through to the conference league because you're playing teams of a similar standard and there's a real, real opportunity of obviously doing something in Europe now and gaining huge financial reward. But I just think the prestige for any of those clubs winning the Cup, as I mentioned at the start of the, the chat, the Cup is special. It really is. I think it's our best competition. Of course, the league, the best team will win it out over the course of a season. But there's something magical about the Cup and I think that's been lost across the water in different places, but I still think we've kept the magic of the cup here. And as I say, that cup final day in the Aviva is something special, and it has been over the last few years. Yeah, and I, I know. Look, you work for RT, so I'm not trying to get you in trouble here. But are you are you, are you surprised that there's only one game on TV this weekend in terms of the semi-finals? I know that was a club decision rather than an RT decision, so I'm not having a go at RT when I say that. But it's a, probably a bit of a disappointment in many ways that we can't get to take the two of them in at, you know, over separate days or whatever. Yeah, and that was always the plan, James. Obviously, I've worked on the, the games, the semi-final and the final for the last five or six years, and, and we've always done that. The Friday, Sunday, I thought this, this year would have been no different. But to be fair to ourselves, we were planning that, but I think it's just, it's probably for me a bigger argument in terms of the planning right at the start of the season, and nobody probably envisaged, there was probably two things that stuck out this year, which has left us in a position where obviously we're trying to cram in games now, and with the running, with the, the round of fixtures that's on the bank holiday as well, it's just proven too difficult because the two things that were at play really that's, that's, that has hindered this is obviously Bohemians and teams doing well in Europe and the odd game getting called off there probably nobody envisaged the teams to go as far or do as well and of course then the call-ups that Bohemians were getting with the three lads obviously Dawson Devoy Ross Tierney whereas that might have been an unusual occurrence in recent years but they were in every squad this year and that's going to become the norm now going forward not just with the Bohemians lads but I think other lads dotted around the league so I think going forward the plan is that we start the league earlier next year and rather than have the mid-season break, we're going to have a break around weekends that there's international games so that obviously that, that situation doesn't arise. So I think that's been the case this year. I think the problem that's occurred here is the lack of planning at the start of the season. And that's been an issue for a few years, lack of planning. Hopefully, as I say, they're going to address that now with the idea that the league is going to start earlier next year and the fact that when Ireland are playing, we will have proper international windows that the league games won't be going ahead uh, to rule out the fact that if a lot of lads are called up for 21s games, which will be the case 
and obviously Dundalk were penalised in that regard as well with some of the foreign lads getting called up um, so I think that'll rule all that out next year and that'll only be a good thing James Yeah exactly um, I'll, I'll, I'll take you back to 2010 for a minute you, you were one of the last Dundalk teams to play Pats in the Cup obviously they met in 2012 as well in the semi-final but I suppose that 2010 team was probably you won't like this one, but they're the last team to go out in the first round of the cup. Um, but it was it was a probably really memorable game for the wrong reasons. Three red cards: Kieran McGuigan, JJ Melligan, and Gary Breen, um, and Brian Cash winning it then with a with an eighty nine minute goal for Pats. What's your memories of that game? I, I did send you on a link to the report earlier to jog your memory, but uh, it's it's probably I'm sure you didn't play in too many matches with that sort of card count. No, absolutely, James. And it's funny, I have a real good recollection of the games and, and remember a lot of games looking back and different things. When you sent me that today, I was like, really? <laughs> I couldn't remember that at all. And obviously reading the report and looking at the lads getting sent off, and uh, I actually couldn't remember the game at all, would you believe that? And, <laughs> um, and, and, and normally I would, like a lot of the games that you play in and different teams and stuff like that, you would, of course, remember, especially a game that had three red cards. But... For whatever reason, I don't know why. When you re- I was I was actually looking at that thinking, really, did I play in this match? <laughs> Maybe I don't. I was just there. That's why I don't remember. Because if we were down to te- ten men for a long spell, and obviously then the the other red card in injury time, we were obviously just chasing our shadows and chasing our tails for a long spell. What surprised me most was the fact that Pats couldn't break us down with only nine men. So it was the late goal, I think, an 89th minute goal that Brian Cash scored, but. I'm really sorry, James, but I don't remember the game at all. <laughs> Probably best forgotten. Um, Anthony yeah. Anthony Bodemer was the man that night. Well, he's that not... sums it all up. Yeah, that <laughs> sums it up. But I, I do remember, obviously, the time at the dock, of course. And it's funny enough, you say that was the first round because we had a really good side. And you remember yourself, we had good, we did, we did well that year um, at Dundalk and we had a good side capable of doing things. Obviously, the teams that came after us went on to do amazing things. But I just always remember Ian Foster assembling a good group of players, and we did have a good group of players that that year. Yeah, I think you were actually his, his first signing. I think you signed just before Christmas that year mm. after Sean Connor left. And you know, how do you reflect on your time? Obviously, injuries were a, were a factor, but I think you. I was looking at it there. You only got a combined forty minutes in the first two games against Brian Drotta. Then you missed the next ten league matches. And you missed the final 16 league matches. So it was obviously a difficult time for you, no doubt. Yeah, sure. There's 26 games out of a season I missed. So, And I still look back at Dundalk fondly. Um, of course, I've, I've, I've kind of garnered a real soft spot for them in recent years and, and the team and Stephen and all the success. And I've loved that group and the likability factor around all those lads. A great time for all those lads that were successful at Dundalk in recent years. But... Looking back on my own time, I really enjoyed it being up there. Ian was the first, uh, I was the first signing. And funny enough, you say that about the game in Bray. I remember actually, now these are the things I remember clear as day, James, right? So we play, we did pre-season that year. I played in every pre-season game, played in the Emmy position, did really well. And I couldn't believe he never picked me for the first night of the season. I was absolutely raging, right? And... I came on, I think I came on in, in early in the second half and did really well. And I was more or less saying, are you for real not picking me? Like I was disgusted, you know. And he started me in the following game. It was live on telly against Rada on a Sunday afternoon. And I got me cheekbone smashed and triple fractured my cheekbone after only, I think, seven minutes. Michael Daly caught me with an elbow and basically, as I say, smashed my cheekbone. So that left me out for the 10 games, as you said. I came back then from that and was back in the team. We had the good European run. I remember playing against Grevenmacher against Luxembourg. 
uh, doing really well. Then we got hammered over in Bulgaria, and but but I, I really enjoyed the little European run that we had or whatever in a couple of games. And I was playing in the team every week, and then I had a bulging disc which I was carrying throughout the season. I remember we were getting the plane over to Luxembourg, and my back season up on the plane. I I actually because up to that point I was just kind of playing with the injury. I'm going in every day get massages and just get me through the training and the match. But I seized up on the plane and I remember going down the back of the plane to the physio and saying, this is a joke, like I need to get this sorted out. So he organised a scan for as soon as we got back and it, it showed up that I had a bulging disc. So I ended up getting the operation and obviously missing the 16 games. And I was disappointed because I still felt as though Ian could have kept me on. Now, the fact that I missed 26 games, of course, that had a, a, a big part to play in and not keeping me on. But even the way he went about it, and I've spoken to him since, he, 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 he just, I didn't feel he was honest and upfront about it at all. Uh, he kept me on the long finger for a long time, and I would have much preferred had he just come to me and say, look, Alan, there's no contract there, simple as that. But he kept it. He, he basically couldn't face up to saying that, which I was really annoyed because I, I really liked Dane and got on well with him. Um, so it kind of ended a bit, a bit, I knew it was probably coming to an end anyway because of the injuries. Um, but I was disappointed the way it ended because I would have loved to have stayed on because, as I say, I really liked my time there despite the fact I missed probably half the season with injuries. And funny enough, James, everywhere I've been all over, that was the only year I suffered injuries. I was really unfortunate that year with the two bad injuries. But thankfully, they were the only two I had throughout my career. But it just it was a pity the two of them came back-to-back, I suppose, in that one season. Yeah, obviously not the first one, but do you think the, the pitch had a factor maybe in, in the other one? Massively, massively, James. And it's funny you say that, and you'll remember this as well. We were training on that pitch every day of the week, and I 100% put it down to the pitch. I was getting out of the bed, honestly, like an old man. I, I, I was in agony the following day, and you'd, you'd get yourself up and moving, get myself to Oriel Park, the physio would be doing a massage, just to get me ready for training. I train again and I'd be back. It was like a vicious circle, just going round and round until that until we basically addressed it and said, "Look, I need to get the operation." And I did and went and got the operation. Um, but as I say, it was it was too close towards the end of the season to get myself back and maybe earn another contract. Yeah, yeah, and it, it it's a pity because it's still. I know the pitch has been replaced since then, but I, I don't think artificial surfaces are what you dream of playing on really when you're a footballer no, growing up. Or. It, yeah, and I hate it. And all the lads as well, I'll tell you, none of them liked it. And if you were to say it to me, I look at them all over the world now and, and even in more high-profile leagues maybe than ours, and I wouldn't have them anywhere. There's no place for them in the highest level of football in any league. I wouldn't have them at all. They're grand for training. They're grand for things like that. And I know, to be fair to Dundalk, it was probably brought in with the idea of maybe creating some more revenue and higher, renting it out and stuff like that but in terms of playing every week on an artificial pitch and I know Derry ever won and it's probably a, a higher level one than Dundalk maybe I don't know but I don't, I don't think there's any place for them anywhere in any league in the world Yeah I know from speaking to 99% of players have been here since you did did all agree with most of that um but uh yeah look I suppose moving on you 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 did you did go to Porter down after that and I know it was only a brief spell but one of the lads you played with there was Brian Gartland like I mean did you ever see him going on to I know he's had a difficult year himself with injury this year but did, did you see him go on then to do what he's done since I mean I think five league titles and you know, being part of that great team that got to Europe in 2016 and again last year. He's had a, a great career. Unbelievable, yeah. Great lad. And I'm delighted that he's had a career. But I'd be lying to you if I said when we were at Porta Down, 
he would go on and become one of the best centre halves and be winning leagues left, right, and centre and all that kind of stuff. But the one thing he was always that I noticed when we were in Portadown, he was always very dedicated and committed to making himself the best he could be. So maybe that stood to him then when obviously Stephen took over and the professional environment that he was in then and maybe a better standard of player in Dundalk that he was playing with a more professional style of player I think that probably helped Brian and brought him on no end as well because he was always that type even in Portadown he was very much dedicated and committed and very professional my time in Portadown I was only going up really it was a, it was a, a stopgap thing I had packed in when I finished the Dundalk and started actually a job James to be honest yeah. uh, I only went up because Matthew tipped and rang me off the bat and just says look I played with Tipton obviously at Dundalk and he says look do you want fancy coming up here for a few weeks and I did I would have loved to I actually Portadown were really good to me and I would have loved to have gone up earlier in my career because they were that good to me um, but I, the time I was there I would never it, it was just basically a stopgap but certainly with Brian as I say I was delighted to see that he did go on but I definitely think there's something in that the fact that he was very dedicated even up there and I do think when Dundalk became what they did that all stood to Brian because he was very much comfortable in that environment where you only have to look at the condition and the shape he's in. He looked after himself very, very well. Yeah, I suppose, and that was part of the story because I, I know you would have been at Bray when Chris Shields was coming through and there was a few mm. like that, that, you know, you like Dane Massey, maybe another, that, you know, they they went to new levels that people probably didn't think that in them and that was part of what made the story so great, wasn't it? That's it. That's, and that's funny you bring up the three boys because obviously Brian, I played with when I was a bit, a bit older, but I played at Bray with Chris when he was only a young fella. And again, I love Chris Shields. Great lad. Not only for all he's done on the pitch and what he's become and what he's made of himself, but a smashing lad as well. But if someone had to say to me and Bray, see this lad, he'll go on and be the best midfielder in the league and dominate league, league winning teams and winning cups, I would have laughed as well. And that's no disrespect to him. As I say, I love Chris. Um, but he was so raw at Bray. But it just goes to show again, and I, I've spoken to coaches and even when Stephen was the manager of just the improvements in him and what a manager can give to a player with belief and self-confidence and obviously it comes down to the player as well taking it on board and looking after himself and going out improving his technique and his technical ability because again Chris was just a raw centre half I never would have thought he'd be basically I remember there was one game that sticks out for me James it was the time they played over in Tala in the first European group stages against Maccabi Haifa or Maccabi Maccabi Tel Aviv yeah Maccabi Tel Aviv and I remember going over and I only went over as a fan and I was sitting in the ground over watching the match I wasn't working or anything and I went over to support the team and was sitting watching it and Chris Shields was absolutely fantastic and I think around that time Martin O'Neill came into the dressing room and was had a real soft spot I remember that story going around as well but he was absolutely brilliant and brilliant doing things he never would have thought he was capable of doing where he ran the show ran the whole game for midfield technically his passing outstanding and as I say I have so much time for Chris Shields and Dane as well included I always thought Dane had something about him though different to Chris Chris was very raw but Dane always had something about him when he was younger you could see it a lovely sweet left foot and again I was so glad to see Dane and that's that's what I'm saying to you about that group that came after us at Dundalk that achieved all the success they're so likeable such a, such a good likeable bunch of lads um, and you'd only wish them well you must be surprised at where where it's, like we all are where it's gone kind of in recent years though because it was sort of set up to dominate now I know you were part of a very good Shells team back in the day but that was sort of financial issues as it was with maybe Bowes after them and a few other clubs Cork as well but this like the dogs still have money and yes they've almost imploded from within haven't they? 
Yeah, and it's 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 staggering really to see where they've gotten it. For me, like you mentioned, a couple of the clubs there in the examples, and of course they were financial, but the financial side of it is the fact that it's been mismanaged, and then obviously the money comes after that. So somebody's mismanaging the financial side of things for for clubs to go the way they've gone over the years, and we have such a habit of doing this when a team is successful that for whatever reason they implode a year or two after, as you say. But I didn't think this would be the case with Dundalk because of the structures that were in place. They were so dominant. The money that they obviously had um, had had earned over the years with winning leagues in Europe, obviously, and then the backers and the investment that you're thinking they have such a safety net behind them now with that as well. So this has been the biggest collapse for me, James, out of all the clubs that we mentioned there over the last 10, 15, 20 years. For a club of Dundalk's success and dominance and, as I say, financial backing that they had to go from where they, they were to where they are right now, and losing players left, right and centre and the mismanagement that has gone on and I worry for them really going forward as I say because a lot of those boys that are still there at the moment now are going to leave as well come the end of the season and you would just wonder where, where it will be and for me it just, it's tinged with sadness because as I say the five or six years where they were winning everything I loved it I absolutely loved watching them loved the story as you say all the backstories to the different individuals Stephen himself and what he's gone on to do there were stories everywhere and, and, and likeable stories you wanted to see lads do well you just look at it at the moment and, and it's a bit of a shambles to be honest with you Yeah, one one guy who you did play with he was actually man of the match in that, that game against Pats that I referenced with the three red cards Peter Cherry he's come back in in mm. recent weeks um, now Look, I don't think I'd be unfair to Peter to say he's probably not, you know, the best keeper in the league. But he's made such a difference, hasn't he, uh, since he's come back in? Yeah, he might not be the best keeper in the league, but he's a very good keeper, James. Um, and and he, even going back to my time with Peter, and funny enough with Peter, even in that dressing room, very quiet lad, didn't really get to know him all that well because he was very quiet. He used to just come in, do his stuff, go home. Um, and a lovely lad, and I've always obviously I met him a couple. I funny I met him at the start of the season up at the. Um, President's Cup game and he was sitting up close to me in the stand and I had a chat with him um, and it was great to see him back at Dundalk and as you said the difference he's made in recent weeks and to be fair to Vinny Vinny deserves credit as well James in recent weeks obviously to get them moving and get them going again the players are there and I know Vinny was saying we had the injuries and stuff and now that he's got more than back on the on the team sheet every week you look at the difference but I just worry for him going forward because Duffy's going to go not sure the story of Hoobin, obviously McElhenney's going to go, and, and to be losing players of that quality, obviously earlier in the year, you look at Sean Gannon going, Sean Hoare going, Shieldsy going to Linfield, like the spine of the team being ripped out of it, and the soul of the team, Dane going to Drada, like how how any how anyone was standing over those decisions thinking these are right for the football club, I'll just never understand that. Do you think in that regard that, that the likes of Friday for Dundalk is probably like I know Pats want to win a cup, I know Bowes want to win a cup, Waterford, but is it more important for Dundalk in terms of where to go from here? Because we we look we already know players are going, the likes of Duffy, McElhenney, uh back to Derry, but did they for the rest that are there and for the hopes of maybe rebuilding something do they need Europe for to hold on to the likes of a Hoban, a McMillan, and these guys, and Andy Boyle? And I know Andy Boyle is actually contracted for next year, but like anyone, I'm sure that the top players in any league want to play in Europe. Yeah, of course, especially as I say, with the rewards that are there in Europe now, and, and things seem a lot more achievable. Like when Stephen qualified for Europe in the group stages back then, in, was that 2015? Back then, James, it was 
he was punching well above his weight to be doing what he was doing. Whereas you look at the Conference League now, I think it's very achievable for one of our teams because of the teams that you're playing against um, are, are more of a similar standard and there's a route there now that you can actually see we could achieve this, you know, and get to a group stage of a Conference League maybe. I still think the best route, as everybody knows, and we saw that this year, is winning the league and dropping down and obviously Shamrock Rovers getting the through to the third round of that uh, with the buy and stuff. That's probably the best route still. But you look at what Bohemians did even through the Conference League, just going through the normal route. So I do think things are a bit more achievable in Europe and not as far-fetched as what they were in recent times. But the worry for me, whatever about the Cup semi-final coming up, and it wouldn't surprise me, as I said, Dundalk to go on, because I do think it's open with the four teams left. But the bigger worry for me is just what's happening with Peak Six at the end of the season. Are they going to be there? Like, it's all right saying we can go on and win the Cup and, and rebuild. Have they come out and said we're going to stay or we're going to be there? Like, the uncertainty around the club at the moment can't be good for anybody, players, fans, manager, staff, anybody. So that would be a more bigger concern than Friday night's game for me. Yeah, like, look, you've played the game and I'm sure you've probably been in this position at some point or another. When you're when you're effectively five weeks away from being unemployed, where, where's your head at? Do you, like, you know, it, it must be playing on your mind. And as I say, a lot of these guys are a bit older now. You're maybe a bit calmer about it maybe when you're 22 or 23 but when you're maybe 30 with you know a wife or a family at home or whatever it has to be a bigger concern no doubt yeah I think the younger lads would be fine with it because as I say they don't have responsibilities probably and they're probably just living being footballers week to week or whatever um, and still have that dream of achieving something big it's the lads I find that might be 30, 31, 32 with the mortgage with their family with the two kids I think it's a bigger concern from them and it'll probably be playing on their mind a bit more James and it can't be good five weeks out not knowing where you stand what your future is and sadly that's kind of the norm in a lot of cases with our players around the league in this country but you wouldn't associate that with Dundalk over the last four or five years. All the players I felt knew where they stood. Some of them were on longer-term contracts. They must, have, they must have serious concerns about actually the future of the club in terms of who's going to be there looking after it and the investment. Because looking in from the outside, to me, it looks like Peak Six might just pull the plug altogether. Now, I might be wrong on that, and you're probably a bit closer to home in terms of what you're hearing at the moment, James. But that has to be a major concern for all the players and for the club itself and obviously the fans and I know there's been groups set up and meetings and they want to hold meetings with Pig Six but it's very quiet there's no there is no communication whatsoever between Pig Six and whatever about the fans who are hugely important but most most importantly right now as you say lads that are five weeks out from knowing whether they're in employment or not I think there has to be some sort of communication with those lads just just out of pure fairness and, and even in terms of planning for next year the fact that we don't even know who the manager's going to be. I know, as you say, Vinny's done a good job uh, since he came in, but we don't even know if any Perth's going to be there. So it's, you're probably unlikely to sign for a club. You don't know who the manager's going to be. Of course, absolutely. Um, and and so that's, you know, it wouldn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Why would you sign for a club? You don't even know who the manager's. And that's unfair on Vinny as well, because he's in a position where he's, he probably doesn't know what's going on and that can't be right games across the board. You have, a, you have a manager who might not know what's going on. You have players totally uncertain about who's going to be looking after the club, who's going to be their manager. Will they be in employment? Will they get a new contract? Fans wondering what's going on with their club, what's the situation? Especially fans who've got so used to success and now you, you, they almost feel like here we are back to square one again and how has this happened? So across the board, there's just so much uncertainty and that can't be a good thing. Just on on Pat's, just finally, um, you know, 
a second place, it, you'd have to class as a good year for them. And if they can add a cup to it, it'd be outstanding. Uh, Robbie Benson come off the bench as well against Derry on Friday. I know they lost, but having him back would be massive as well. Yeah, that's massive for them because I think that's come against them in the last couple of weeks. Is obviously Mountney got injured as well. And Stevie brought in those experienced players from Dundalk with that winning mentality, as you know. Um, and obviously John and Robbie were two of them that he wanted and got them in. John has missed a, a, fair, a large chunk of the last few weeks um, with that bad injury that he suffered. And of course, Robbie as well. But to have Robbie back on into the, these huge games now with obviously the Cup semi-final and the last few in the league, um, that's a huge bonus and a huge positive for them. And I would say Stevie's done a great job. He really has. Um, I've Again, going back to the points earlier about the lads and being so likeable, Stevie part of that group as well. And he's a great lad, Stevie. Uh, a great time for him. And I always felt he would go on and do well in management. Um, and this is the year that he's, as I mentioned, he's been able to put his stamp on things and been able to weed out the ones he didn't want and bring in the ones that he ha- that he did want. And I think he's done a great job with Pats getting him the second because if someone had to say to me at the start of the year, who would be the challengers, the Shamrock Rovers, I actually said Dundalk and Bose because of what Dundalk did in the President's Cup. I was at that game that night and they played really well. And I thought they're set up now to have a good year. Um, and, and hopefully challenge Shamrock Rovers, but we all know what's transpired since. Bowes got off to the worst possible start. So Pats, I had down basically just to finish in Europe, I thought would have been a good year for them. So for Stevie to be where he has them now in second, and as you say in the semi-final of the Cup with a chance to win it, I think he's done a really good job. And just on yourself, you're enjoying your media work. I listened to your podcast there, a great one last week with, with Stephen McGuinness, um, but you're, you're, you're loving all that, no doubt. Ah, James, yeah, sure. I treat this like a job now and, and a career, and I absolutely love it, sure. You know how much I do. I go to the games, left, right and centre, love the league, love the lads, love everyone involved. Obviously, there's major improvements to be made, but slowly but surely, I think we're, we're, we're inching that way and uh, towards a better league and a better industry is the word, and obviously we all want that, but with Stephen at the helm, at the, the highest job in, in charge as well, um, I think there's good things on the horizon, hopefully, for all of us in Irish football. But, yeah, I absolutely love the media work and um, keep it going. <laughs> and and if anyone wants a, a night out before the end of the year, you have an event coming up in the Sugar Club on the 17th of November, don't you? We do, James, yeah. We have a, a big night on the 17th. We have a good panel lined up. We mentioned a couple of the managers there, Stevie, uh, Tim Clancy and Rory Higgins. We also have an international panel with Kenny Cunningham and we have a couple to add to that as well. That'll be announced in the next couple of weeks. So tickets are on sale. You'll get them on a link on any of my social media channels. And hopefully, I think there's only a few tickets left. So if you are looking to go, it will be a great night. Bit of crack. Stewie, me sidekick. Stewie Byrne, I think, is going to sing a couple of songs as well, James. So we're going to have a bit of crack with it. Um, And yeah, hopefully people can come along. Because as I said, I've always had a soft spot with Dundalk. The people were always good to me. Even in the, the years now that I go up to Oriel Park, everybody's really good and sound to me. So if we could get a few Dundalk fans on the night as well, that would be absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. Well, listen, thanks very much, Alan. I really appreciate that. Pleasure, James. Anytime. No problem. Now, I suppose moving on to Friday night now uh, up in Richmond. Uh, I suppose we're the form team now. Uh, a few weeks ago, was Alan Colley had said if... Uh, you had a thought who was going to go through now? Would it be us or Pats? It, you, we all would have been putting our house nearly on Pats, but uh, you'd kind of maybe put us in the driving seat. Yeah, well, like if you look at it, um, and look, I think one way or another, we're going to face them twice this week, just to mention that, because we, we played them in the league on Monday as well, or if it goes to a replay, they'll, 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 the game will be back in Oriel, obviously. But yeah, if you look at their form, um, 
we were obviously going into it seven seven undefeated now. Obviously, it would have been nice to get the win over Bowes, but still seven undefeated, which is pretty much as good as it's got this year. Um, or as you look at their form, they, they've only won two and lost four of their last six league matches. Um, and those two wins came over long for two or look, not going to take any way. We, we couldn't beat them, but, uh, uh, you know, a relegated long for team and a draw the team both away from home. Um, and I like give you a look at a bar to win over Wexford in the quarterfinals that they had, they, they actually haven't won a home game since beating draw the back on July the 16th. Um, so you're talking over three months now. Um, I suppose a big boost for them. Um, they they obviously have Sam Bowen suspended for the game, which which is which is which is blow. But like Lee Desmond uh, started his first game um, since that serious head injury he had against Waterford back in August against Derry at the weekend, and Robbie Benson also came back off the bench um, after a spell out through injury. So they're two big players to have back for them. Shane Griffin's also come back in uh, recently enough, so you know that will help them. Um, obviously, John Mountney, uh, who who we all know very well, he's out for the season with knee uh, ligament damage sustained actually in Oriel Park. But um, yeah, like they haven't been firing on all cylinders. That you know they've they've kind of you know Rovers have stuttered a little in in recent weeks themselves, and they haven't been able to rein them in at all. But kind of form goes out the window when it comes to a cup semi final. Um, and look, they need no motivation. Stephen O'Donnell, I'm sure, would love to get one over the dock. He'd love to um, try and get his first trophy as a manager, no doubt. And um, you know, having home advantage, you know, I'm sure to be to be happy with that. I think it makes it has the makings of a great night. Like it's it's a pity, and I don't want to keep banging on, but the TV thing, it's a pity it's not going to be shown on TV. Um, like, but with the COVID restrictions lifted now, you know, to be a full crowd there, I think they announced today there's 5,000 capacity. So I think anyone who wants to go to this probably will be able to get there and hopefully be a great atmosphere. Yeah, I was just looking there, like, and even in, if talking about kind of prolific goal scoring, like their top goal scorers, Chris Forster, were eight goals this season. So they're not exactly kind of firing on all cylinders here. Like, and, you know, geez, that's that's a very poor return for a team that are second in the league. You know, like there's obviously been a lot of kind of one nil victories and stuff like that. But uh, I don't know. I just think with the form that we're in, which, you know, isn't fantastic either. But like, I, I wouldn't have any fear going to these guys. And and you know, I'd be happy like for the likes of O'Donnell kind of coming second if he does. But again, they're kind of just choking their way over the line as well at this stage. Like there's, I know they've had bad injuries again as we reference a few of them, but. You know, they've been absolutely nothing special. So, you know, being in, in Richmond isn't great, but like, I, I, I'd be very confident now Dundalk can kind of come back up the M1, hopefully going to the Aviva for, I don't know, the millionth time in a row. <laughs> yeah, seven in a row they're going for, which would be a record. Um, yeah, like they've, they've struggled this year because their striking options haven't really, like Melvin Lambert, albeit he scored against us in Oriel, but. Um, oh, your man, really... Maddie Smith, has eight goals as well, actually. So it's him and Forrester. Yeah, well, now Smith Smith's played a lot up front this season. Like I saw him last year at Waterford, and you know probably would have liked him at Dundalk to a certain extent. Um, but he, he was a wide player. Uh, he's played a lot up top for them. I I don't think that's his natural position. Ronan Coughlin came in from Sligo, just hasn't really worked out for him. To be fair, um, even he got now he is available, but he got sent off against Derry uh, at the weekend. I think it kind of sums up his his year. Um, just hasn't really clicked from there, which look happens from time to time. 
I think to be fair, we just need to worry about ourselves. I, I still maintain one of our best performances of the season came in Richmond earlier in the year, just before the break when we beat them 2-0. And they were, you know, they were flying at that stage. I think, you know, you, the big concern for Dundalk this week is will Patrick Hoban make it um, here in 50-50 at the moment? Um, now, whether that means he can start the game, come off the bench, who knows? But, you know, he'd be a big player to have because he, he was absolutely immense for me in that game earlier in the year. Um, and I think having both Jokowskis and Dumbingen back from suspension is, is massive too. Like I thought Greg Sloggett did very well um, at right back the other, the other night in Daily Mint, but I think his, his energy was missed a little in the middle of fields as well. So I think, you know, I don't want to, I'm not going to say I'm confident, but Richmond Park is always a place I've never feared going. Um, I think it, the, the compact venue suits Dundalk. They, they can play a good passing game there. They can play it long when they want to as well. Um, they've had some great results there over the years, to be fair. And I, I always think Pats give you a chance. I think like they, they're always a team that try and play football the right way. But I think that that suits Dundalk too when it when a team tries to play against them. I think they're they're well capable of exploiting that. I think the big concern we would have had a few weeks ago is, you know, defensively we we weren't as strong. I think look albeit we didn't keep another clean sheet against Bowes um, on, on Friday night. It, it was a penalty, to be fair, and I don't think you'd hammer either a defence or a keeper for for conceding a penalty. But, I mean, we have certainly improved. I think, you know, when you go back to the, the previous round of the Cup when we beat Moctis, um, you know, the, the form guide was a lot different then, you know, in terms of at that stage, you really would have fancied Pats because, you know, shortly after that, around the time of the draw, we were losing to to Longford and Sligo. We were in a horrendous run. But, you know, since, you, you know, since then, we've basically picked it up, you know, and come over a bit of a sticky patch around that Finn Harps game where, you know, with COVID and, you know, throwing away a two-goal lead up in Bally Buffet and stuff like that. And it's it's been fairly solid since then. Um, and as I say... Momentum, it's a hard thing to turn around. Uh, now, no better place in a cup, cup semi-final probably either, but like I think the dog have the bit more experience of being there doing that. And look, they showed last year they were able to lift it for one-off ties. they shown this year at times, you know, if you look to Europe and that, they can lift us. And I, I'd be hopeful, hopeful. Um, as I say, this game will probably go a bit more under the radar because the, the Bose waterford games on TV, but... Yeah, I'd love it. I'd, I'd I'd love to be heading, uh, making plans to head up to to the Aviva again on the twenty eighth of November, and you know, it, it'd be great if we could keep our, our season alive. Because I think, look, there is still stuff to play for in the league, but um, I, I think when you factor in the likes of McMillan Kelly coming back, you're still hopeful of getting McElhenney back. We're still hopeful of getting Brian Gartland back. You know, you could be really building a proper head of steam come the end of the season, and um. It's a real, I think, and I said it to Alan Cawley there in the interview, I think it, this probably means a little more to Dundalk because obviously every team wants to win a cup, every team wants to get Europe, but I think it's probably more a sliding doors moment. I don't think it's a, a massive blow for Waterford, Pats or Bose if they don't get there. Whereas I think for us, in terms of attracting players here next year, keeping players even an attractiveness to new owners, potentially an attractiveness to peak six, potentially staying on. I think it could be huge for us winning a cup. Um, 
and certainly huge for being in Europe next year, which is the, which is the major price. Yeah, well, moving on to an interesting uh, article that we all uh, seen this morning, but uh, announced on the official Wolves website and many other kind of news uh, websites. But uh, to read out the headline anyway, US finance and technology firm Peak Six Investments have acquired a minority share in Fossen Sports, the holding entity that operates Wolves and its associated brands and businesses. The investment makes Peak Six a new strategic partner to Wolves, who will help Fossen Sports accelerate the club's growth in North America by providing capital, expertise, visibility, and activation opportunities for Wolves and Wolves esports across the USA, USA even. So is Big Bill looking to maybe bring in Adama Traore on loan for us next year? Or, or what did you think of that announcement? Um, yeah, look, it's it, it surprising and unsurprising all in one. Like they, They've always said that they want to sort of expand their, their football brand. Um, and sure, we're a better place than Premier League, I suppose. Uh, you know, I think the fact that it's a minor, minority share, shall we say, it's uh, probably better for <laughs> for Wolves because it's hard to have much faith in them. Um, you know, it's funny, like between this and obviously their recent investment in, the, in Monaco Ladies, I actually did a journalist on to me from um, the Nice region um, asking about them recently. And it's like, it's hard to be positive about Peak Six. Like, and. <sighs> You know, I don't want to be all doom and gloom about everyone, but like, you know, what have they strengthened in Dundalk and um, what qualities? Like, if you were speaking to someone, a Wolves supporter now, and I know there's a few Dundalk fans who are Wolves fans in terms of their, their cross channel team, but like, it's very hard to say what they'll bring to the table that's positive. Um, I certainly hope they have more of an interest in Wolves than to have with us. I certainly hope to engage with supporters more than to have with us. Um, I certainly hope to invest in infrastructure, staff, more than they have with us. But look, they're investors, and look, I'm sure, um, you know, Wolves is one of those teams, to be fair, that, you know, they're probably that middle-of-the-road Premier League side that maybe you can bring in players from around Europe and, you know, let them show what they can do and maybe sell them on for greater amounts. That probably suits this peak six model. Um but I just hope they're trying not to find them in Amherst College either, like uh, it, because uh, the players they've tried to bring in from America and, and other places to for, to Dundalk to do that certainly hasn't been good enough. It's an interesting one, and it just leaves the question, um, you know, how many balls are they going to juggle across Europe? Because there, there's, there's three clubs they're now involved with again, Um Obviously, we don't know exactly how much of a say they'll have in terms of the the running of Wolves because it, it is a minority share, as I say. But um, yeah, I've probably yet to meet a impressive Peak Six employee that's still there. So uh, maybe they'll send them to to Wolverhampton. Who knows? But um. It's hard to be positive about them. I, I like you know. Again, if you're speaking to a Wolves fan, what, what do you say to them? I've seen uh, somebody on Twitter uh, was like, I can't, it was something like, I'm hearing rumors that like Tanner Dogan has already been spotted around Wolverhampton and all. Like, so it is just it, it's a 
it's a different thing because obviously they you know are a majority shareholder of us and minority of wolves and like a minority share of a premier league club could be very minor so you know it could just be literally their cash flow kind of putting in and giving some advice so i wouldn't say it'd be a, a similar deal but uh you know it, it doesn't uh kind of take away from the fact that again you know we're, we're still hearing nothing still no contract still no management still no anything happening and then <clears throat> Uh, I think was it last week that the supporters club kind of released a statement saying that they wanted to publicly kind of state and record their disgust that the disrespect shown to the supporters club, the fans and the town and stuff. So again, it's still, you know, there, there's still a lot of bite between let's say fans, the community and peak six. So uh, I think it's a different ball game of wolves. They're just investing a, a few quid into that. I don't think they'll really have any say in how things go, but uh it's it's still not a good uh, situation for us. So, you know, on the media front, I suppose you've kind of your head and a few things. Have you heard of any kind of uh, more parties or anything take, looking to take over or has that kind of died off for a while? Um, I just, like, it's still happening in the background. Interior talks more so than anything concrete. Um, if, I, if I'm a betting man, I, I, I would say it's probably closer chance the peak six aren't here than maybe are next year but like these things are always subject to change because look until a deal is done and, and even things like Friday could be huge because on, on both sides because th- does the potential of being in Europe make you more attractive to a buyer but equally does the potential of being in Europe make you want more as a peak six uh, employee because you know you're if you get to Europe there's guaranteed future income and stuff like that so um, these things are liable to change day by day. Um, I, I, I think some progress has been made in relation to, you know, at least expressing that desire to um, activate the sort of option clauses in a, in a few of the players that have we've options on. But um, yeah, look again, and I, I I said to Alan there, like it's you know we're down now to the we're recording this on October 19th. Uh, November 19th is the final day of the league season. Now, obviously, we hope we're playing uh, nine days after that in the cup final. But, I mean, a month today, the, the league is over. And, you know, if you're out of contract, you know, some players will have end-of-year deals, some players will have end-of-season deals. But you're potentially a month away from being unemployed. And it's only natural that, you know, players like it's it's factual. The players have met up with pe- people from other clubs. Um, I think a lot of them are still sort of waiting to hear what and if will be on the table from the dock. Because, uh, to be fair, the dock would probably still offer one of the best uh, financial packages. Um, and you know, when they're still in, a, in with a chance of Europe that, you know, I think most players, no matter what league it is, they want to play in Europe. So that's still a factor. But as I say, these things can all unravel very quickly. You know, if you lose the Pats, does staying at the dock become a lot less attractive for a range of parties from owners to staff to, to players? And that's what you need to factor into all this. So, um, you know, Friday could be, could be huge in more ways than one. 
Absolutely. And let's just hopefully they get things in order sooner rather than later. But that's that for this week. And thanks again for joining us on the Press Box this week. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at Pressbox Dundalk or drop us an email if there's anything you want to discuss at info at pressbox.ie. The podcast is available on all major podcast apps and you get a link to all of them on pressbox.ie. I've been Craig Colgan with James Rogers. Thanks for listening. Look out the stars turn on. Look out the stars.